there's just something about being out on the open water. I'm sure there are those in the building this morning who can't wait to get on a boat and head out on the water. And there are others here who would just as soon stay on the shore. The water can be thrilling, but it can also be killing. There's an excitement about it, but there's also a danger about it. You know, a boat on the water is good. Water in the boat is bad. (laughs) Have you ever ever had a close call when it comes to being out on the water? I was thinking about this this past week. Years ago, Danielle and I, we were out on Lake Gaston. I'm from a little town called Gaston, and it's not too far from Lake Gaston. And we were out on a pontoon boat. Uh, This is way before we had our guys, and so it was just she and I. And we had gone to watch the fireworks on July 4th with family members. And there were many boats out on the water that night. I mean, there was a lot of people uh, on the water that night. And so the water was quite stirred up and the fireworks, they happened and it was over and it was time for everybody to disperse and go back to their cove and back to their homes. And as I said, there were a lot of boats that night and the water was very choppy. And my uncle, who was driving us that night, he started up the boat, and as he put it in gear and we started moving ahead, instead of gliding on the water, we started plowing down into the water. And water began to wash up on the front. In fact, so much water came up, it covered my shoes, if I remember, because I think they were my good shoes, and they were covered in lake water. And it gave us quite a scare. He backed off, and the water, the, the boat righted itself, and we slowly made our way out of that and made our way home safely, obviously. But it gave us a bit of a scare. It was something we were not expecting. We, we didn't mind gliding on top of the water. We didn't want to go down into the water. And I thought about that because I was reading the story about the disciples who were out on the water one night on a boat. And their situation was far scarier than ours was so many years ago. We're thinking right now in a series called Notable Nights in the Bible. And I want you this morning, if you would, to go to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and I want you to find chapter 14. Now, just so you know, the story we're going to read this morning is also told in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and it's also told in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and I'll make reference to Mark and John 6 a little bit later in in our message But as we read this today here in Matthew chapter 14, I want you to do a favor for me. A lot of times we read this story, we focus a lot of times on Peter. And we look at what Peter does, and we're amazed by what Peter does. But as we read today, I want you to focus on what Jesus does in the story. We'll talk about Peter briefly, but our focus today is upon Jesus. And I want you to notice everything that Jesus does in this passage. Now, let me set the stage a little bit for you. We're here in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus, we're getting ready to read, but before we read, what happened right before the passage today? Well, Jesus had fed the 5,000. And you've got to remember that number 5,000 was the men there. So it didn't include the women and the children. It could have been 15,000. It could have been the feeding of the 20,000. John chapter 6 tells us that the crowd is about to take Jesus by force and make him a king. I mean, they're just that excited, that enthralled, that enthused, that they're going to take him. They've just seen this miracle. They're going to take him and make a king out of him. And we're going to pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse number 22. 
Matthew 14. So remember what's happened. The feeding of the 15,000, the 20,000, remember how many were there. They're going to take Jesus by force, the crowd is, and make him a king. And it says in Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately, notice that word again. We saw it in verse 22. We see it in verse 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me! Verse 31, and immediately, there's that word again, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pause and pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Use me today to be a blessing to these precious people. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. What an awesome story. A true story, a real story. What you just read is not make-believe. It is something that actually happened long ago on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I ask you to notice what Jesus did. I went through this past week and I marked everything that Jesus did here in the passage that we just read. So I want to walk through and I just want to point out what Jesus does here. And then at the end, we're going to draw some application for us today, okay? I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and sail away on the Sea of Galilee. This was not their idea. It, it was a command of the Lord Jesus. He told them to get into the boat. It says He made His disciples get in this boat and sail away. That's important to recognize. Then it says that Jesus sent the multitudes away. Remember, they were wanting to take him and make him a king. But instead, he disperses the crowd. He sends the crowd away. And then it says that Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. And he went by himself. He was by himself when he was praying. Now, while he's praying up on the mountain, the disciples were struggling. Remember, he sent them out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They were rowing against a great wind. Um, they, things were not good on the Sea of Galilee that night. Mark chapter 6, verse 48 says that Jesus saw them straining at rowing, which is very interesting. Remember, he's praying, but it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, he saw them. Well, how in the world did he see them? Well, he's God. He's God in the flesh. And he saw them out straining as they were rowing along in this tempestuous wind. And then John chapter 6 says that they had rowed three or four miles. Now imagine, this is not just easy, casual. The wind, the storm, this is a very frightening time. It's a rough time in their lives. And, and here in Matthew it says the boat was tossed 
by the, the waves. And then, during the fourth watch of the night, for us that would be somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So very early in the morning or late at night, however you want to say it, it says that Jesus walks on the water to go to his disciples. Now what's interesting is in Mark chapter 6, by the way, when you're reading the Scriptures and, and you're in the Gospels, be sure to go and read all of the accounts of the stories because some of the writers are putting a little extra here, a little extra there, details that you don't realize. I find this very interesting. I'm not sure the significance of it yet. I don't know if I really grasp what he's talking about here, but it says in Mark chapter 6:48, it adds this interesting note that Jesus is walking on the water and it says, and he would have passed them by. That just creates a funny picture in my mind. Here he is walking along and he would have just kept right on walking. And I don't know the significance of that other than maybe he was hoping they would notice and then he could minister to them. And I got to thinking how many times has Jesus been present in our lives and we didn't notice him. But they look out and they do see him. And here he is walking on the water. And it says that they thought it was a ghost. And to put it in modern terms, they were scared to death. Now, I don't know about you. If you go out on the water at night, we're not talking about modern uh, nautical equipment here. They didn't have giant spotlights. I mean, they're out in the dark. They're out and they're rowing along. The storm is, is raging around them. And they look out and they see this figure coming towards them. And they're fearful and they're scared and they cry to think it's a ghost. But then we find that Jesus comforts them. And I love the words that he uses. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Be cheerful. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And then we have this interesting account between Peter and the Lord Jesus. This is where we usually focus our attention. I'm just going to touch on it today because I want our focus to be on Jesus but you remember Peter's there. I love Peter, by the way. I think I love Peter because I see that I'm like Peter in so many ways. I don't mean the good stuff. I don't mean the, the pillar of the church, that sort of thing. I mean, I see all the times he messed up. The way he inserted his foot in his mouth and he spoke without thinking and Jesus had to correct him. I love Peter. And Peter here, I love his courage and his faith when he says, Lord... If it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And the interesting thing is Jesus says to Peter, come. Jesus tells Peter, come on out of the boat and come on the water. And you know the story as we just read it there. Perhaps you've heard it all your life if you grew up in church. Perhaps it's the first time you've ever heard the story. But I hope that you notice that as Peter's there, he's walking on the water and it says that he begins to take his eyes off of the Lord Jesus and he looks around and begins to notice, hey, there's a storm going on, there's wind, there's waves. I, furthermore, I imagine he probably thought, what in the world am I doing? I'm standing out here on the water. And it says he begins to sink. And the interesting thing is he prays a very quick and effective prayer. Now, if you think only long prayers are heard by the Lord, or you think you have to pray a really long prayer to get your point across, um, this right here tells us differently. In fact, if Peter had prayed like some of us pray, he would have drowned. <laughs> he would have. He would be dead. A very simple prayer, he says, Lord, save me. I mean, what, what greater prayer is there? Lord, save me. He's going down. And it says here in the Scripture that Jesus stretched out his hand. He caught him. He saved him. And he offered a very gentle rebuke. He said, oh, you of little faith, 
Whited you down. I can't help but think about as I read that how many times I've been sinking. And the Lord Jesus in his graciousness reaches out his hand and he catches me. And he lifts me up. Well, we go back to the boat. I'm assuming we can ask Peter when we get to heaven, but I'm assuming that he and Jesus walk back to the boat together. And by the way, for all of his failures and all of his mistakes, I want to just remind you, he's the only disciple that walked on the water. He's the only one. But to get back to the boat and the storm ceases, and John, interesting, if you go read it in the book of John, it says they were immediately where they were going. So supernaturally, when they got to the boat, they were where they were going. And then it says here, you read it in this passage in Matthew 14, it says they worship Jesus as the Son of God. Worship takes place. He stills the storm. Worship takes place. They recognize. You go read one of the other passages, it talks about the fact that they really hadn't caught the miracle and really, I think, processed the significance of what had taken place with the feeding of the 5,000. But I tell you all that to get to this point in the message. We're at a very important part of the message now. If I were teaching you how to prepare a sermon or to prepare a Bible lesson, there's a couple of different things I could give you to help kind of keep you on track. And I'll give you one that you can use. Maybe you're preparing a devotion, your Sunday school lesson, or maybe, maybe you're preparing a sermon. But there's a three-point guide that you can kind of use. If you'll keep these three questions in your mind as you prepare your lesson, it will really help you. It's just three questions. Let me just give these to you real quick. You can kind of file these away, but I want to use these in today's message. It's simply these questions. What, so what, and now what? What, so what, and now what? You can use those three questions as you're working on your lesson, as you're working on, if you've been called to preach and you're working on a sermon, you're working on a devotional. What, so what, and now what? Now, I told you the what. What is the what? <laughs> well, we talked about what happened here. We walked through the story. We looked at the Lord Jesus. We've seen him walking on the water. We saw about uh, Peter here. We saw him still in the storm. We saw them worshiping. We saw all the details. But then it comes to a very important question that a lot of people want to know the answer to, especially when you're leading a lesson, preaching a sermon, or giving a devotional. This question rises to their minds. They may not realize it. They may not verbalize it. But their question is this, so what? So what? So what that Jesus walked on the water? So what this took place? Why is that important today? And that's what I want to impress upon your heart. We have to realize the significance of this for today. Why is it important today? Well, we know, first of all, it's important because it's God's Word. God's Word is important. All of God's Word is important. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, that is, mature. But let's get a little more specific. Why is this important? Well, I know it's important because it gives us today two comforting truths. Two comforting truths. And these two truths I'm about to give you can change your life if you'll let them. You say, well, that's a pretty big statement. Well, I stand by it. If you'll allow these two truths that we find from this passage to really impact your life, it can change your life forever. You say, well, what are those truths? Well, let me give you the first one. You might want to jot them down. It's simply this. Jesus is in complete control. Complete control. Did you notice as we walked through the passage? He was in control of everything. 
He told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. He dispersed the crowd. He went on the mountain and prayed. He saw them struggling. He walked on the water. He commanded Peter to come out onto the water. He saved Peter. He took them back to the boat. He took them to the shore. He did all these things. He was in complete and total control. He stilled the storm. He stopped the wind. He calmed the waves. He was in complete and total control of everything. Why? Because He is Lord. He is God. He is the Creator. And this is so comforting. You know why? Because it seems like our world is out of control. You just watch the news. You see Israel. You see Hamas. All that's going on in the Middle East. You look around our own nation, our country. You look around our community. Even our own community. Friday night, they had to change just the football game because of all the things going on. And it looks like our world is out of control. But I'm here to tell you, beloved, that Jesus Christ, the Lord, He's King of kings and Lord of lords, He's totally, 100%, absolutely in control, always has been and always will be. Nothing happens outside of His control and His permission. And you need to know that. But then the question comes then, what if Jesus is in complete control, and He is, and He was in complete control that night on the Sea of Galilee, then why the storm? Why the storm? I mean, Jesus is the one who commanded these disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. Jesus saw them as He's up on the mountain praying. He saw them as God straining away rowing. He knew they were fearful. He knew they were in danger. So why the storm? Well, you need to understand something very important, and that's this. Not all storms are the same. Not all storms are the same. I love this. Let me help you. Warren Wiersbe said this. As we read our Bibles, we discover there are two kinds of storms. And you need to get this. Two kinds of storms. There are storms of correction and there are storms of perfection. Storms of correction, storms of perfection. Storms of correction is when God disciplines us because He loves us. As our Father, He disciplines us. Storms of of perfection is to help us to grow. So think about Jonah. Let's go to another scene out on the sea. You remember Jonah? Jonah commanded to go and preach to the Ninevites, those wicked, evil people. By the way, you study the Ninevites and you understand how wicked they were, you wouldn't want to go preach to them either. They were horrible. But God loved them just like God loves all people. And Jonah went the opposite way and God brought a storm And it was a storm of correction. He brought that giant fish, that whale, who swallowed him alive. And then eventually spits him up on the land and Jonah goes forth and he preaches and it's a great revival throughout Nineveh. That was a storm of correction. These disciples, I want you to notice, they were right in the center of God's will. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And this is not a storm of correction. This is a storm of perfection. Jesus was testing them and growing them and helping them out that night. He said many Christians have the mistaken idea that obedience to God's will produces smooth sailing. But this is not true. In this world you will have tribulation, Jesus promised in John 16.33. He says when we find ourselves in the storm because we've obeyed the Lord, we must remember that He brought us here And He can care for us. As I thought about this, there's two types of storms. I can be in a storm, and it could be a storm of correction, or I could be in a storm, and it could be a storm of perfection. I got to thinking like like this. Maybe this will help you too. 
When I'm in a storm, would it not be wise for me to take a moment and say, what kind of storm is this? Is the Lord trying to get my attention because I've done something wrong? Is there sin in my life I've not confessed? Is there sin in my life that I've not dealt with? Maybe there's something He's told me to do. I haven't done it. Is this a storm of correction where He's trying to get my attention, trying to bring me to the point of of right fellowship with Him? If that's the case, then when I find out, you know what, I, I think this is what's going on. I need to write then confess and repent and forsake whatever the evil thing is in my life and get right with the Lord. See, even as as Christians, we still sin. We still mess up. 1 John says very clearly, if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. We still fail. We still sin. We're still children of the Lord. We're still saved. But we're out of fellowship with God. And He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. So stop and say, well, maybe this is a storm of correction. If it is, get right about it. But then you look at your life and you pray and you ask the Lord, Lord, show me if there's something wrong in my life. And you realize, no, I I really believe I'm where God has put me. I really believe I'm doing what God has told me to do. I'm seeking to be obedient. I'm seeking to follow the Lord. So this must be a storm of perfection. Then the question you might want to ask yourself is this. What is God trying to teach me through this storm? What lessons does He want me to learn through this storm? This leads us to that second comforting truth we find here. Not only is Jesus in complete control, but I want you to really catch this. Jesus loves us very much. Jesus loves us very much. And we talked about two types of storms, remember? Storms of correction. That is discipline that He brings in our lives to get us in right fellowship with Him. And then storms of perfection, that is His growing us and maturing us. Why does He allow those storms? Why does He bring those storms? Because He loves us. He loves you and me too much to let us go on out of fellowship with Him in our sin. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. He loves us too much to let us go on sinning. Just like you love your child too much to let them go on disobeying. You know the harm that will come to their life if they're not corrected, if they're not disciplined and taught the right way. So our Heavenly Father loves us that way. Because He loves us, He will correct us. But then we know likewise these storms of perfection are why? Because He loves us. He loves us too much to leave us as immature believers. When you have a new little one, one of those sweet little babies, I mean, you love that little baby. You love cuddling them. You love making them laugh. You love to hear them giggle. You love to smell them. Babies just smell... Well, they don't always smell good, but... uh, A lot of times they just smell good. You know, just a cute little baby and you're there. You love carrying them around. You love showing them off. This is my baby. You see the baby. Everybody says, oh, look at the baby, you know. You love that baby. But here's the truth. You want that baby to grow. You want that baby to mature. You'd be horrified if that baby never grew, never matured. No. You want her to grow. You want her to become a young girl. You want her to become a young woman. You want her to continue to grow because that is a picture of health, right? Healthy things grow. Well, just like this in our Christian life, we start out as Christians, as babes in Christ, as new more believers. We could call them baby Christians. 
A person comes. We'll say, well, they might be 80 years old. It doesn't matter. If they come to faith in Christ and, and they are new in Christ, they're a baby Christian. And they begin a process of growth and maturity. And that's why God gives us those storms of perfection. He's seeking to develop our faith to mature. And I should ask, by the way, before we're done today, are you a Christian? The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're out of relationship with God. We've sinned. He's holy. We're not. But Jesus Christ, the one we're talking about today, came and lived a sinless, perfect life. God in the flesh gave His life on the cross, shed His precious blood, was buried and rose again victorious and says this, go turn from your sin and place your trust in me. You will be saved. I would encourage you, if you've never received Christ, today will be the day you do that. We've got to hurry. Jesus loves us very much. Do you see that with how he dealt with Peter here? You know, Jesus could have let Peter drown. Do you ever think about that? He could have said, serves you right. Lack of faith. Bye. He doesn't do that. He loves Peter. Peter says, Lord, save me. He reaches out and he lifts him up. He loves him. You look at Peter's life. It's a very interesting study. Look at Peter's life. Even after Peter denied the Lord, he came back and made sure he restored Peter. That's how much he loves Peter. Can I just tell you he loves you just as much? One of the things we never outgrow is God's love for us. We never outgrow God's love for us. No matter how mature we are, no matter how long we've been Christians, we never outgrow God's love for us. I remember a story about a student and a student was there and he was able to be in the presence of a great theologian. Now, theologian is someone who you know, studies God and dedicates his life to studying God or her life to studying God. <clears throat> they're very wise people. Uh, if they're truly great theologians, they're godly people. But they were in the presence of a great theologian and they asked this theologian a simple question. It was a very profound question, but it was a very simple question. And they said, what is the greatest thought that has ever crossed your mind? What's the greatest thought that's ever crossed your mind? And that theologian slowly raised his head and he said these words, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The greatest thought that it ever crossed his mind. We never outgrow that. And by the way, I don't want to outgrow that. Jesus loves me. Now remember I gave you three questions. Remember we're helping you to build a lesson in the future. First question was what? Second question was so what? So what is it? Why is it important? Remember the third question? Now what? Now what? In other words, what do we do with this? We know what it is. We know why it's important. Now, what do we do with it? How do we apply it? Well, because of him, because of who he is, not us, we know here that we can do the impossible. We can walk in faith and not fear. What, what comes next? What next? Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. We can walk in faith not in fear. 
We can do this because He is in complete control. We can do this because He loves us very much. In fact, He loves us perfectly. So I want to just ask you in closing today, what boat is Jesus calling you to step out of? For some, it might be telling a friend about Him. You have a friend that doesn't know Jesus. And God's been doing about that. And He's saying, you need to step out of the boat. You need to walk in faith. You need to tell your friend about Him. For others, it might be getting involved in a ministry. For others, that boat might be changing careers. Say, oh, that's, that's a fearful thing. Yeah, but if God calls you to do it, He'll be with you. He's in complete control. Might be adopting a child. Might be giving a large gift. It might be becoming a missionary. It might be something even simpler. But what came to mind? Maybe something popped in your mind. God the Holy Spirit put his finger on something in your life when I said that about getting out of the boat. What is it? Maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, if I get out of the boat, what if I begin to sink? Look, we just read the story. Jesus is right there with you. He's right there. He sees every step. And you can cry out simple prayers. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, guide me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me to trust you. And I just say to you today, get out of the boat. Let's pray together. Father, help us. I don't know what you're doing in the hearts and lives of these precious people. If someone's here and they don't know you, I pray today that they be the day they get saved. Bring them to saving faith in you. Others, Father, belong to you. They know you, but there's something that you're calling them to do. There's something that you're dealing with them about and they're fearful and they're afraid. Lord, I pray today that you would help them to take that step of faith and not live in fear but to keep their eyes on the Lord Jesus and follow Him, knowing that He is in complete control. He will never fail us. And He loves us very, very much. Father, thank You for this story. Lord Jesus, thank You for the gentle way that You dealt with Peter and Your disciples. The way that You taught them, corrected them, helped them. Thank you that you do the same for us. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have an invitation time here today, and that's simply a time for you to come and pray if you'd like to. The altar is open here. You can come and kneel and pray. If you have a need today and you want to be saved, or you have another need that you have, if you would like prayer with you, someone to pray with you about that, let us know that. If you just want to come on your own and pray, you can do that as well. But this is an invitation hymn, uh, number 105, 105, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. You come as God leads you. Let's stand together sing 105. Mom.